Going live in three, two. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. On this show, we talk about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company, politics, religion, and all of the things that matter. Today's guest is the Honorable Cecil Bell Jr., who's a state representative for House District 3 in the state of Texas, uh, which is now completely contained within Montgomery County. Representative Bell has served in the House since 2012 and is running once again for re-election. Thank you for uh, coming on the show today, sir. It's an honor to be here. Looking forward to our our opportunity to speak a little bit. Absolutely. All right. Why don't we just start by uh, you telling us a bit about yourself? So a little background on me. Uh, My family's been in Texas since 1852. Uh, I didn't get here quite that quick, but as quick (laughs) as I could. Started my first construction company uh, in 1983 at, at the age of 21, still in business today. My sons and I, along with some other family members, and lots of folks I've worked with a long time, mm-hmm. continue to be successful in that business as well as a number of others. Uh, during the time I've lived here, we moved here in 93 to the Montgomery County area, Magnolia mm-hmm. area. Uh, and during that time, the opportunity came up to serve on the school board, so I did that. And then when the state rep seat came up, I recognized that I wanted to be certain that we had someone who had a good, strong business acumen who also was concerned about making sure that, that the state rep role was handled very much like one I was familiar with. I was a deacon at Magnolia Church Christ, mm-hmm. had been for a number of years, and I believe that is the ultimate way that the state rep's role works best. You have a choice. You can elect someone, and their job is to make sure that, that we're served, or you can put your name in that hat and be the one who is certain that we are served. So, uh, again, uh, business background, uh, married to my high school sweetheart, two sons, four grandbabies. You don't have any, get you some. Yeah. Uh, Best gig going. (laughs) And uh, ranch in East Texas. And just uh, am honored and humbled to both serve in the House of Representatives uh, as the state rep for House District 3 uh, and, uh, and just be here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, so you would likely, I'm sure, describe yourself as a conservative Republican. I would say I fit that model really well. I would too. Could you define for me what is conservatism? So from my perspective, uh, conservatism is about making sure that we keep our traditional values in place, that we don't allow an erosion. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought a few years ago that we would need to pass a bill that said that boys shouldn't be competing with girls uh, in sports. Who would have thought mm-hmm. uh, that we would have to to weigh in on on topics like uh, CRT and others? Uh, you know those things that that have been very deliberate in our society uh, generationally. You just teach history as history goes, and, yep. and the other disciplines. Uh, conservative is making sure we're fiscally responsible, so we don't find ourselves in a position where uh, where we have failed. Uh, to take care of, of the citizens of Texas in the case of the legislature. Uh, and in our case, we are uh, well served by the fact that our Constitution compels us, not like D.C., mm-hmm. we're compelled to have a balanced budget and other things of that nature, uh, protecting our religious freedoms. Uh, you know, we're a Judeo-Christian uh, society. At least our laws are founded on it. We're not mm-hmm. a theocracy. We're a constitutional republic. Right. Uh, making certain that whoever held this role uh, believed that our constitutional rights uh, weren't something to be uh, trifled with, but were in fact uh, inherent to us. Uh, and so, for those reasons, I uh, I put my name in the hat originally. But it, it, those are also 
just a general overview of, of what it means to be conservative, taking care of our traditional values and doing the things we're supposed to do. Excellent. Thank you. That was well said. I, I 100% agree with that. I think that that's really the essence of what I view uh, conservatism as, is we're conserving traditional America. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's something worth fighting for. Uh, I'm going to pivot to our next question. Uh, briefly, what is the purpose of government? So this is the social studies teacher here quizzing the state rep. Well, you know, uh, so the purpose of government is exactly what the Constitution considered, which is to make certain that we have the opportunity to have a peaceful and tranquil existence mm-hmm. uh, and to be successful in life, the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Those sound like great sound bites, but if you really resolve them down to what government's functions are, uh, we should protect our border, something the federal government has failed to do. Yes. Uh, we should uh, make certain that we have sound foreign policy and other things of that nature if you're talking about the federal level. Mm-hmm. But when you come home to Texas, we need to be certain that uh, that we take care of our infrastructure, that we take care of the constitutional obligation of, of education, that we mm-hmm. meet uh, all of those pieces that are uh, the obligations, uh, constitutional obligations uh, to the citizens of Texas for, from government. Mm-hmm. And they are defined. Uh, again, I think it, it sometimes seems uh, like a soundbite, but it is true that whatever power isn't delegated to government yes. is reserved to us. And, right. and we need to recognize that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. The Tenth Amendment, you know, is one of those amendments that is overlooked. Uh, you know, I was teaching eighth grade U.S. history for public schools for the last five years. And I would get together with some of the other social studies teachers and when we were teaching the Bill of Rights, of course, everyone's like, oh, the First Amendment's really important, uh, you know, fourth, the fifth, second. Um, once you get down to like the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, and the tenth, we, a lot of people just sort of gloss over those uh, amendments like, oh, they just need to know it because it's in there. But they, they lose the value of the importance of that. You know, we are, a, a, as you said, a constitutional republic. But we're also, you know, 50, what, the, what that means is we're 50 separate republics that are all together. And, you know, having Texas be its own entity, you know, it is the United States. Um, and that, that is such an important thing that I think is overlooked. And now, of course, you know, we have this overarching, powerful central government, and it's really important for you know guys in your position uh, to to recognize the importance of the Tenth Amendment and and to use that as you know a a shield and a barrier so that governments can't uh, in this case the state government can protect our rights. So thank you for that. Well, and and you know it's it's something that is very near and dear uh, to I think all of us. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know when we we think about. Uh, that uh, there are a lot of things that happen uh, inside the state that that aren't explainable. It's one of the reasons I've carried the Texas Sovereignty Act. Why I wrote the Texas Sovereignty Act uh, was to pick up and be able to define why we do the things that we do when we're talking about a, an element that has to do with how the, the uh, Supreme Court interprets U.S. Supreme Court interprets mm-hmm. different outcomes. It, we still today don't have a, a way of saying. Who said we have to do those things? Right. You know, we take it for granted, well, or at least we hear uh, that uh, the Supreme Court is this great arbiter of all law. Mm-hmm. But the reality is uh, that they are not supposed to be inside the state of Texas dealing with interstate 
or, or with intrastate issues. That's right. Uh, that, that those are uh, ours. That's mm-hmm. why we have our own criminal appeals courts. Why we have our own Supreme Court. Those are issues that are supposed to be resolved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the Tenth Amendment uh, goes a long ways uh, towards making certain that all of those things that happen inside Texas allow us to have a unique uh, fiber and fabric, which actually strengthens our nation. Yeah, each each state has its own uniquenesses. And they bring value, but we're protected. We don't have to have California's environmental laws, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't have to deal with uh, New York's social laws. Mm-hmm. Texas can be Texas. It's, it's one of the big challenges we face right now with this current administration, having an enormous amount of overreach that's pushing out. And, uh, and again, the 10th Amendment becomes very important. It's always important. It becomes very important when we have challenges like we face today. That's right, yeah. No, and I mean, that goes back to, you know, the Supreme Court not coming into the state of Texas, you know, where in Article Three does it give the Supreme Court the power to do that? It's not there. It doesn't exist. Mm-mm. And so it's really important that I think our state legislatures across the United States, not just here in Texas, but everywhere, understands their constitutional authority, the role that they have, and, you know, be able to wield that constitutional authority uh, when appropriate and necessary. And uh, I just don't see that happening often, especially in other states. But, you know, I'm glad to hear, and, and you're not the only state representative that I've heard say that. So that's, I think we have an excellent, uh, you know, representation here, specifically in Montgomery County. I mean, we have you, we have Representative Steve Toth, we have Will Metcalf. You guys are fantastic. And I know you have this great working relationship with the other two, uh, as well as, you know, our, our state senators. Um, Senator Bettencourt, Senator Cole Kirst, um, and Senator Crichton. Did you want to talk about how you guys work together? So I think it's it's worth talking about. You know, mm-hmm. not all counties have that strength, and and certainly they don't all have the numbers that we have here. Yeah. So when you're talking about the the House, we'll start there. You know, you have uh, in the three of us uh, a very strong uh, body of of uh, a, a very strong delegation mm-hmm. that, that all believes very similarly with regards to what the rights of the citizens of Montgomery County and of Texas are and, and works hard uh, to be certain that mm-hmm. we not just assert those rights, but that we push back when those rights are being infringed on uh, and that we, uh, that we don't allow for uh, intrusion into spaces they don't, don't belong in. And I do think it's, you know, when you go through a process like redistricting, which mm-hmm. we just went through, you mentioned our senators mm-hmm. uh, right today. Uh, our senators are Senator Creighton and Senator Nichols. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we have this next election and we're sworn in, uh, in the uh, on the second Tuesday in January of 23, mm-hmm. then the new seats will come in. And at that point, we'll have those new Senate seats. Yeah, The Senate seats will wind up with three senators or 31 senators. So basically... Uh, we have 10% of the Senate working for us right uh, right here. And if you have had the opportunity to meet with those three, uh, and, I, and I've had the fortune of being able to work with them on a mm-hmm. lot of very strong conservative bills, uh, and they do share that, that same value system. They share that same strong uh, defense of the Texas Constitution and of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and I'm, I'm honored to work with those folks. Yeah, no, I I had the opportunity, as you know, you were there, uh, to, meet, to meet them uh, last week, I think it was, uh, Senator Colkhurst and uh, Senator Betancourt. I hadn't had the that opportunity yet, but, you know, they, they were fantastic people, uh, really friendly. A little low on energy. Oh, well, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. 
Especially <laughs> Senator Colkhurst. Yeah. I mean, she just, I mean, somebody they, get that woman a cup of coffee, am I right? <laughs> they, are, they are dynamic in their yeah. defense and in their effort and in, and in their willingness to work for not just the citizens of Montgomery County, but also of Texas. Yeah, no, they were great. And uh, the lieutenant governor was there as well. He, he was very well-spoken, and, and I really appreciated hearing uh, what he had to say and, you know, how important he, uh, how much of an importance he placed upon Montgomery County and specifically the, the people of Montgomery County and you guys, the delegation now, that's going to be, you know, representing us uh, in Austin in January 2023, like you said, and how important all of those pieces are in keeping Montgomery County red, keeping Texas red, and saving our republic, hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, and, and Governor Patrick said it really well. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, we're creating model legislation inside Texas that other states are using. That's right. To uh, protect life, to protect our Second Amendment rights, and to uh, and to just generally move forward and, and get back those things where they've been eroded and to protect them where where we have been able to hold them. But uh, very strong to have the lieutenant governor there and, and just our delegation. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I think this is a good segue into my next question here. Uh, talking about the 87th uh, uh, legislative session that just wrapped up, um, you guys had some pretty great victories, uh, you know, sitting on the sidelines here looking at it. Uh, you know, you got the heartbeat bill passed. You got uh, you stopped critical race theory from being taught in our schools. We got constitutional carry. Um, a, a bill that doesn't that isn't as sexy as the other ones, but it was really important to you know people here in uh, Magnolia specifically around the 1488 corridor was the uh, House Bill 1520 about the natural gas and making like sure that you know the natural gas companies weren't able to charge us exorbitant amounts of fees and taking care of that with the bond issue. You guys had a rock solid legislative session. Did you want to talk about that? Well, I think it's always worth talking about the fact that, uh, from my perspective, in the time I've been there, we've been a, we've been a conservative body as mm-hmm. a legislature. But this session is certainly the most conservative session that I've been there, or since I've been there, mm-hmm. and and I would say since I've been watching politics, uh, and while I haven't been elected that long, uh, I've been concerned about it since I was old enough to vote, mm-hmm. and really before that. But you know, paying attention closely because you're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we, we reasserted, as you said, the uh, rights that had been lost in uh, in the 1870s with right. regards to constitutional carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also did a couple other things that no one talks about a whole lot. One, uh, you can't order mail-order abortions in Texas anymore. Yep. Uh, that, that piece is there. Uh, we also passed a little bill that says when the court does turn over, Supreme Court does turn over Roe versus Wade, Texas law already aligns with that. So you don't have to go back and make that happen. We'll already be there. That, uh, that was a brilliant strategy. Election integrity, as, as we heard Senator Bettencourt and, yep. and others talk about, you know, we established the need for uh, an audit trail, paper audit trail. So that's going to be in, in place uh, in the upcoming election. Uh, I, and there are just a number of other conservative features that were passed. Critical race, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it no form – but no, in no form or fashion should uh, should our kids be taught right. uh, what critical race theory suggests. Uh, it's no, it's it's Marxist in nature. It, it number is one, strictly Marxist. Uh, it totally flies in the face of our founding principles, which is based on natural law. Um, and the ironic thing, and I, I, I'm 
you know, I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face. Uh, I, if you just follow natural law, if the society just tries their best, even as fallen creatures, to adhere to those principles, all of our problems that we have going on in America today go away. Uh, okay, I will fully admit that, yeah, America has a problem with racism now uh, that had been trending, I think, down, uh, and now all of a sudden there's this uptick again. Well, the the fix to that, the cure for that, is to follow natural law and to look at another human being and say, okay, you're created in the image of God. You have the same rights as I do, life, liberty, property, safety, security, happiness. That's what makes us equal is our rights. Um, that's the cure. Well, so. And, you know, one of the things while we're there, mm-hmm. no one wants to talk about this a whole lot, but what other nation took the steps that we took in the 1870s with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments? Yeah. Uh, uh, so the very people that were were guilty uh, of the challenges that, that are laid out, and, and slavery was never right. It mm-hmm. was always a sin and an abomination. But the folks who were closest to it acted to be certain that those rights were reasserted that, uh, that the Constitution already contemplated. And thankfully, mm-hmm. while the U.S. Constitution has not been amended a, a, a large number of times, it has been amended by this country in the times it needed to be amended. That's right. Uh, and those times addressed issues that existed in the Constitution. Uh, and I think that's where we as American citizens and as Texans should focus is, is look, this place, this country that we live in, uh, it is that, that last bastion of hope. If yes. you're here, you're here by grace of God. Take advantage of the opportunities and the freedoms and the privileges that exist here. Quit worrying about how you got here and, and start worrying about how you can do the best you can for your family and, uh, Amen. and go forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, speaking of, again, the, uh, the last session, um, I know I spoke to you, uh, I think it was in, back in October about this, um, you know, you were rather upset about how the Texas House uh, Democrats uh, broke quorum uh, time and time again. Um, did you want to opine on that a little bit? Well, I mean, I think our rules clearly said that you're not supposed to do that. It's it's against the Constitution, and you talk about the laws of nature, but you can step over and assume that if somebody voted for you to do a job, they hired you to do that job. You're supposed to do that mm-hmm. job. Then you got this other little thing. It's a constitutional oath of office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to uh, leave the state to avoid doing the job you were elected by your constituents to do and to honor the oath of office that you took uh, is just clear their election. And within our rules, we had uh, the authority to have those individuals uh, civilly detained, arrested, mm-hmm. uh, brought back to uh, the chamber, uh, placed in the chamber and the chamber locked. Uh, and from my perspective, the rules should have been applied. Uh, and we certainly had to call on the House to allow for the rules to be applied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I do believe that, that there was a, a punitive consequence. If you come back and look at the second and third special sessions, uh, it has no fingerprint, no Democrat fingerprint mm-hmm. on it. So, uh, you know, there was a punitive consequence. And, and I do believe that when we come back in in the next session things like uh, what constitutes a, a reason that you can be removed from your chair that the, the uh, so your house chairs mm-hmm. uh, you know there was this big question about whether or not uh, that 
that the rules allowed for removal of a seated chair during session or special session. Mm-hmm. I believe we're going to see those rule changes put in place to be certain that that is clear. <laughs> that was uh, my next question. You must be omniscient. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do, do you agree with the idea of having um, basically stopping Democrats from being uh, committee chairs at this point uh, with everything that they just did? So, so, you know, I think when I look at the whole topic of chairs, uh, and I look at Texas having successfully used the process that we have, mm-hmm. and I look at D.C., and I look at the fact that when the, the uh, current administration came in, all our chairs were stripped of authority, and literally we have no voice in D.C. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think we should be like D.C. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't uh, necessarily advocate for a, uh, a process that says no Democrat should hold a chair. I do believe that if you're going to have – a Democrat in a chair, they should be aligned with uh, the majority uh, in the chair they're in. There mm. are Democrats that vote with us on matters like life. Not a lot, but there are some. Sure. There are uh, Democrats that vote with us on issues like Second Amendment and others. Not a lot, but there are some. Mm-hmm. If you want to pick a chair, pick those chairs that align with you in those particular uh, venues that the bills that would come before them uh, would would fit within you avoid the challenges we have in dc mm-hmm. uh, while also uh, having very little likelihood that you've limited the ability of the body to be successful and you continue to utilize the the continuity that has existed in texas since the 1830s under the rules that we currently operate under mm-hmm. uh, but i also think that you will see some rules changes to, to be clear that if you're going to be in that chair uh, and you do take that step and you vacate this state for the purpose of breaking quorum that you won't be, you won't come back to a chair. Mm. Uh, and, you know, from my perspective, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, we have the, the uh, plank uh, resolution we're going to be voting on. Mm-hmm. that talks about how to handle that particular conversation. But from my perspective, if you're going to be gone, then the real challenge the, is constitutional. Should you be paid? And I think most yeah. folks would say, if you're not going to do the job, you shouldn't be paid. That's a, cal- a constitutional question right now, mm-hmm. and there's court precedence that hasn't answered the way that it's currently answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that we should uh, we should align the will of the people and the reality that we, as a, a population, if you're not going to work, we don't pay you. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's where we need to, to look on that. If you're going to not work, you shouldn't be paid. And if you're going to be gone, uh, then – at some point, you vacated that chair, mm-hmm. and uh, you should. There should be a new election to fill that seat. And from my perspective, I think that compels people to stay here while still protecting the other aspects that I talked about earlier. Interesting. Yeah. No, I think that that's a good approach. You know, I think so many people got upset. You know, and I was probably one of them. You know, you get emotional in the moment, and you're watching all this happen uh, during the you know that first special session, especially. You know, and everybody gets upset and they're like, we need to just strip them from all of their chairs. And, and you know, there's an overreaction. Uh, I think it needs to be handled, you know, thoughtfully. And, you know, so I appreciate the perspective. Um, one of the things that I know is near and dear to your heart that, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of people don't look at it. And it's not like, you know, the heartbeat bill. It's not critical race theory and it's not these sexy other bills that get all of this attention, but I think is super important. Um, and it's going to get more attention as time goes on, I think is, uh, our taxes, uh, specifically property tax. 
Um, I know you have, um, that's, that's a topic that's near and dear to your heart. Would you like to, uh, you know, talk about your thoughts on that? Sure. Of course, I've, I've carried a number of bills. In the last session, I carried a bill that would have taken half of the surplus revenue and used it to buy down our local property tax. Mm-hmm. And I've signed on to bills uh, as a joint author uh, with uh, Chairman Oliverson, uh, who's my our neighbor right here to the south of us, mm-hmm. uh, that would have zeroed property tax over time using budget surplus to do that. Uh, some of the challenges that go along with that, uh, if you look at the steps necessary to get there, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very it, it is hard to know for sure that you can get everything you want uh, in the time frame of a session. Uh, right. So some of the things that I've, I've been working on and I think we'll be successful in in carrying this session, if the tax assessor uh, is or if the tax appraiser is going to have uh, that level of influence on us, then that should be an elected position. Mm. Uh, they should be responsible to the people whose property values they're setting. And so I think, and well, I'm going to carry a bill uh, that says just that, uh, that they're supposed to be able to, to be voted on. Uh, you know, that, uh, I just think that's the least yeah. that, that we should have. And we've done it with other offices here in Montgomery County. Uh, and that would, of course, be a statewide statement. Uh, additionally, if you've ever been to a tax protest, and I'm sure you have, yeah. uh, there's nothing you can offer that they have to accept. Mm. And from my perspective, I think if you take an appraisal written by a certified licensed appraiser in the state of Texas, that should be, they should be compelled to have to take that. Mm. Uh, and so I intend to carry that legislation as well. And uh, so that we, uh, until, and, and not to not work on the other, and we'll get more into that in just a second. Sure. But to be certain that we have those defenses available to us as citizens. And so when you look at, at property tax in general, you know, the easy answer, and I wrote a bill, I wrote a white paper in 2004 that suggested just go straight to sales tax. Having served in the legislature uh, in the period of time I have, I look over, we've got an eight and a quarter sales tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, public schools are, are an $86 billion number. A penny's worth about $5.5 billion. Divide those two numbers, you got about 16 cents and change. Add that to your eight and a quarter then consider you still have health and human services and all the other functions of government available. And, uh, and you can see that it's something that has to be well thought out and contemplated. There are ways to get us there. Uh, and I also think that there are some considerations that we as citizens might want to have when you're talking about things like facilities. Uh, do we really want to, and I'm just going to pick one that was in the news for a while, mm-hmm. Do the citizens of Montgomery County want to pay for Allen ISD's football stadium that fell down at $60 million? Uh, and I think the answer to that is no. No. Yeah. So we want to be able to do the things that we want to do there. So there's, I think there's work, a lot of work to be done there. Uh, but I do think that, and I've worked with uh, school districts in the past to, to try to determine how to best meet our constitutional obligation using sales tax on the operations side uh, of the slate mm-hmm. and other funds that are already available to uh, to fund public education. And I think if we can get that done, we, we move way along the line of tangible, comprehensive dollars put back in the pockets of Texans, specifically Texans in Montgomery County. Uh, and at the same time, we're working towards that ultimate goal of how do we get out of the uh, property tax business. Right. No, I think that's a, that's so essential because, you know, I, I own my house, right? Um, 
you know, do I? Well, you know, I pay my mortgage, and then when I pay my mortgage off, well, and I'm still paying somebody for the land that I have, for the house. You know, it, can it can it really truly ever be mine as long as that tax is, you know, on placed upon me? And, uh, you know, a lot of people say no, you know. I mean, I think it's hard to argue. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if it can be taken from you because you don't have any money to pay a particular bill on it. Right. Then, uh, and I think if you look at it at face value, that is the case. And I do believe that, and I'm, I'm certainly as someone who, uh, who has, uh, has a strong investment mm-hmm. in Montgomery County sure. in physical assets and other places around the state, I'd be well served by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I want to be certain of is that we have strong sound policy, not just a, a knee jerk reaction to the concern. Because in the end, if we create a Texas that's weaker economically, doesn't mm-hmm. create jobs, doesn't have the other opportunities that we're supposed to have, uh, then then the unintended consequence is worse than the circumstance we find ourselves in today. Mm-hmm. Do we need to get there? Absolutely. Should it be thought out soundly uh, and uh, and with a strategy uh, that, that gets us there without unintended consequence? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I have a very strong thoughts and uh, and have worked a lot on the topic of how do you get that done yeah no and i think that's where guys like you really shine you know um i have all of this philosophy and political theory and history and stuff in my head understanding taxes is not in my wheelhouse and you know it takes an entire team of people uh to to get all these things accomplished and you know that's you know, if I had to say, you know, as one of your constituents, you know, what's the Cecil Bell's number one thing? It's like that. That is. Thank you. Yeah. You, you, you know, I read that paper that you that you uh, referenced and it was brilliant. Um, and uh, I, I'm excited to see what you have uh, if you're able to get all that done. I, I hope you are. And I think a lot of Texans really are. Like I said, it's not this shiny, you know, awesome, you know, Newsmax TV story. You're going to get on there talking about ta- property taxes but it's something that hits every single texan uh you know in the pocketbook and is near and dear to their hearts whether they realize it or not so i think that would be fantastic um i had a question uh for you uh in regards to going back to your time as um uh president of the magnolia school board and now finding yourself in uh the position as our state representative um one of the uh legislative priorities uh, that were was passed by the uh, Republican um, delegation at the state convention was the idea of school choice. Mm-hmm. Where, where would you fall on that? So I think it's impossible. Again, I used that word two or three times, mm-hmm. but not to recognize uh, that, that parents should have a, a strong uh, voice in, in where their kids go to school. I think the, um, the school system already contemplates choice more than what most people talk about or think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the ability to move our, our kids within districts. And, uh, and so I think, uh, and you know, we have charter schools and we have, have a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you, you come back to the, uh, the, you know, the one that always comes up in that conversation is, is the homeschool conversation. Right. Because why do my tax dollars leave my house if I'm the one responsible for, for teaching my, my kids, basically, mm-hmm. is the argument. Uh, if those, and what I've heard more in Montgomery County than 
than any other argument in Waller County, which I currently also sure. represent, uh, is is that they don't want the the strings that go along with that. Right. Those dollars are, are retained uh, or sent back after going through the, the system. Uh, then there are those matrices that go along with uh, the intent of trying to figure out are we successfully using the tax dollars for the purposes that they were sent back to the districts or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, long story short, yeah, uh, I do think that, that school choice is an important feature that we need to be certain, uh, again, that, that our parents have that that control side of that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, uh, we need to be sure that we bring all the stakeholders into those conversations so that we don't break schools right. uh, in the process of, of coming up with that, that answer. And I think we also have to be careful that we respect our homeschool parents sure. so we don't, again, create problems for them where, uh, that they don't want. Our parochial schools certainly do not want some of the challenges that uh, that public schools face today uh, after uh, Hugo Black's Justice Black's little uh, tirade in New York. You know, yeah. He's certainly changed uh, public schools a tremendous amount, not for the uh, the better in terms of them being able to to start schools the way they want to. Kids still have the authority to, to do things like institute uh, or initiate prayer. Right. Um, but our, uh, our officials find themselves uh, very much restricted and limited in that yeah uh i am not a hugo black fan that is for sure um and i i'm I'm glad to hear you bring him up this guy he he messed up everything he touched in my opinion uh you know the the school prayer thing uh he said that yeah plessy he screwed up um he just he just sometimes invented stuff out of thin air he said well you know we have an interstate commerce clause. And so the fact that you have intrastate commerce, right, uh, that is connected sometimes to interstate commerce, well, then the Congress ha- can, you know, regulate intrastate commerce. It's like, what are you talking about? Uh, that, yeah, he was, he was a disaster, uh, an FDR appointee, if I remember correctly. I believe that's right. Yeah, but um, so it's, it's a challenging thing. Um, I, I'm a... You know, I, I appreciate your words there, especially uh, as a homeschool parent myself. You know, we have uh, our kids attending a, a sort of hybrid private school homeschool model. And, you know, it working for that school, you know, I don't I don't have to worry about things like the teaks. I, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, um, having to follow this ridiculous Supreme Court uh, precedent. You know, I pray with my students all the time um, and, you know, they appreciate that. And how I, I had a guest on uh, yesterday, Dr. Johnny Sego, we were talking about how can you even teach classical virtue to students uh, if you take, you know, faith out of the equation? Where does goodness come from? You know, <laughs> so, you know, one of the bills that we passed this last session was to allow the Bible to be reintroduced as a textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while that may not seem very powerful to that are, are concerning, perhaps is mm-hmm. a better word, to the person who doesn't view it as anything other than a book. If you look at theologically what happens when you're introduced to the Word, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out of that, that book, uh, you find virtue, you find mm-hmm. morals and ethics and mm-hmm. uh, how to handle relationships. You, you learn a tremendous amount uh, that, that would seem to be a, a secular uh, conversation. Sure. Well, you also... Uh, learn a lot more about what eternal life means. That's right. Uh, and uh, and I think it 
it is very strong and powerful well, to be able to teach that as a uh, absolutely and you know i'm i'm a believer i believe that when i open the inerrant word of god that it's scripture that it's true that it is god's word that you know he's teaching us through his word uh how he wants us to act and live and you know it has all of those religious elements for sure i i don't discount that at all that's in a, and in fact that's primary but something i also teach my students is that even if you you know, believe all of that or don't believe all of that. If you pick up the Bible, it is still on top of all of that stuff. It is quality literature. It's a great story. Uh, of course it is. Look at who the author is, right? But, <laughs> you know, it meets all of the credentials that you would find in any other great book, like the Iliad or, you know, the Ennead or Dante's Inferno or any of the works of Shakespeare. It has all of those same qualities when you're just looking at it simply as a piece of literature as well and i think we we miss that sometimes uh when we open up the bible and it's not like like i said it's not that it's not scripture everything about that is true but we overlook that aspect of wow god you're an amazing author too you know and what a great story so i i love that that idea that that you got that built through and i think that you know you are correct in saying that that may not on the surface look to be such a powerful thing, but I think it definitely could be. Well, it, we, when you pull prayer out of schools, it had a huge impact. Let's put Bibles back in. Right. No, absolutely. It, it dramatically changed the makeup of our entire body politic. Uh, we had, um, until that point, had been a nation that, you know, was filled with a virtuous people because that of that element. And when you remove it, you know, 10 years after that, you have, you know, in my opinion, society starting to crumble. Uh, the American that had been prior to all of that was we were starting to lose it. Um, and uh, I think I think the answer, like I said, to all of our problems in our nation is what? Oh, going back and, you know. Turn our face back to God. Yeah, and respecting his natural law and doing it to the best of our ability. And, you know, our founders made it very clear that we could not maintain a republic without a virtuous people. And so it, it is, that is primary to, I think, repairing the damage that has been done over the last uh, about 100 years. Well, if you look at the influence in those writings of the, of the U.S. Constitution uh, that the black robes had, mm-hmm. it, it is why our laws hang on the Bible or the words of the Bible, the, the moral and ethical aspects of Judeo-Christian values. Mm-hmm. Our society is is largely founded on those. Yeah. And absent those, uh, it, it creates a, a challenge for the mind, uh, and it certainly creates a challenge for anyone who is uh, uh, who believes strongly in, in a, a constitutionally strong, sound America because those two are synonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the U.S. absent or the U.S. Constitution absent uh, a godly people uh, is a, a document without a, a direction, mm-hmm. and so it uh, it we've got to we got to do that because yeah. otherwise we hear these conversations about living documents. Mm-hmm. Know, the U.S. Constitution is a roadmap right. intended to be certain that every generation, whether they're there by birthright or naturalization, sure. arrives at the same place uh, where they have the right to. Uh, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. And- That's right. Yeah, and it's it is yeah this living document garbage. Uh, I mean, you're a businessman. If if I you know had a bid on uh, you know 
you know, one of your businesses or anything like that. And I said, all right, well, here's the contract, but it's a living and breathing document. Here you go. Would you, would you sign that contract and accept it? No, because it's got to be interpreted under, under a standard, which is why an originalist interpretation of the constitution is inherently necessary. That's right. Uh, and, uh, we, we've got to get back to that and, we don't need the, the Constitution as interpreted by the courts. We don't need the Constitution uh, as interpreted uh, by the visionaries of the day that mm-hmm. think it's a societal document that just moves around as society does. Uh, we need the, the uh, original interpretation to be applied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, as we know, you know we talked about uh, some amendments already today. Mm-hmm. If indeed there is a need to amend that document, it contains the ability by which these people uh, that that are the citizens of Texas and the other states in the union can amend that document, mm-hmm. uh, but it takes a high threshold to do so. Sure. And, and it should. Right. No, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the things I love about article five. That was so smart of, uh, it was actually the last day of the constitutional convention and it was the second part of article five and how you amend the constitution was put in there by George Mason. Uh, because he said, you know, if you have this out of control, corrupt government in Washington, DC, for example, are they ever going to check their own power? Are they ever going to amend the Constitution themselves to, you know, fix whatever is allowing this corruption to happen? Of course it's not. So he gave the power to the states to call for a convention of states. Uh, now, that's never been attempted. I don't know what that would look like. Um, but just having that sort of wisdom to look down, you know, all of the possibilities, that that's, that's the brilliance of, of these guys, you know, where we still have, you know, your average constitution worldwide lasts for about 17 years. And, you know, we're going on almost 250 years, you know, it'll be 250 years in uh, 2026. So that's, that's an amazing, amazing uh, track record. And uh, it's worth having people stand up, fight for and conserve. Right. Yes, sir. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I understand that you are running for re-election, Mr. Bell. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, Would you like to tell the people why they should vote for Cecil Bell Jr.? Well, uh, I, I tell you, I think I want to start with a little story. Okay. Uh, when uh, when I was first elected, uh, Chairman Rick Hardcastle, who was the Ag uh, Committee Chair, mm-hmm. he asked me, he said, you know, is there something you want us to know about you? Mm-hmm. I said, yes, there is. He said, what's that? I said, I want him to know or want you to know I don't drink, I don't play golf, and I brought my own woman. And, <laughs> and, and Chairman Hardcastle said, well, why are you here? And, and I said, because the citizens of House District 3 in the state of Texas sent me to do a job. Mm-hmm. Just like why I show up on construction sites to pour concrete or do whatever I do there. Mm-hmm. Just like when I go work cows or when I go do whatever I do at the ranch or any other venue, mm-hmm. at the church, whatever it is that we're working on. Uh, the reality is is that the citizens of House District 3 continue to have a right uh, and a need to have strong, experienced representation, strong, conservative, experienced representation. And as long as they want to send me, uh, you know, my name is in that hat. Yep. And so uh, I am looking forward uh, to uh, March 1st. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're in early voting right now. That's right. Runs through the, the 25th. And uh, I greatly appreciate the support that's been shown to date and look forward to people continuing to, to be a strong, uh, engaged uh, in voting electorate because I think that's what is important. So uh, 
you know, uh, my values align with, I believe our values here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, my belief and expectation is, is that if someone has an issue, uh, that whoever is our representative should be willing to take that, that call should be willing to have that conversation, uh, and should have the wherewithal and the capability to know what can be done with that. Yeah. Whether you're talking about during 2020 and COVID, uh, where people were needing the Texas Workforce Commission mm-hmm. because government had said you could not work, which I never supported, by the way. Sure. Uh, who, who would? <laughs> and, you know, I, it, it was unconscionable right. to me. Uh, but then jump forward a little bit, and you've got the problem where some folks received monies that the, that the Texas Workforce Commission then felt like they didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to claw them back. Some of them it was right. Uh, but regardless, whoever's encountering those agencies is encountering an emotionless entity. Mm-hmm. They don't act. They don't care what your concerns are. Uh, they simply have a, a, a set of guidelines and they act within their interpretation of those guidelines. What your state representative should do uh, is be certain that you're aware that they're there so you, they can reach out and engage you, whatever that, whether that's with Health and Human Services, whether that's with, again, the Workforce Commission, mm-hmm. whether that is with uh, TxDOT, whatever it is. Now, that doesn't mean you'll always get the answer you want, but you should always get the effort and you should always feel like the government uh, is a part of you because you're able to to fit into that process the way our founding fathers contemplated when they said pick someone and send them up there and the rest of y'all take care of work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, that's as important for the people that go as it is for the people that stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think about it, the businesses that I leave to go to Austin uh, when we're in session, uh, if not for those folks uh, who stand here and make sure those tasks get done, right? my wife won't live on 600 bucks a month. Uh-huh. That little girl, <laughs> she just has a, a richer appetite than that. And yeah. I'm not sure uh, much better way to say it than yeah. that. But the, uh, the, and I would not change that, by the way, mm-hmm. because I, I believe that we don't want uh, that job to be one that causes people to go because they want to make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. It should be there because we want to be sure that our future generations that we have, that our kids have, our grandkids have, and, and the generations we'll never meet, uh, have a place that is limited government uh, where we can afford the taxes. And we've got some work to do there. We've talked a little about that. Sure. Uh, and uh, and where we have those business opportunities and, uh, and the – the rights to to our religious freedoms and to our traditional values, uh, and and not just the expectation of them, but but the right to them and the preservation of those. So uh, I'd be honored to to receive the vote, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'd be honored to go back and and uh, square up and fight to defend those. Amen. So. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, come on the show and sitting down and having a chat with us. Uh, we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's right in the middle of primary season, and you're a busy guy. So we we. We know how much of a uh, we 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 really uh, appreciate that. It's my honor to be here, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Sure. Uh, once again, our guest today was Representative Cecil Bell Jr. We'd like to thank the Dockline Studios for uh, giving us this awesome space. Uh, make sure that we are up, by the way, on uh, YouTube and um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. However, uh, you like to stream. Uh, follow us, smash that like button, um, and uh, tune in next time for another episode of Impolite Company. Thank you.